with my wife and a handful of other crew staff from southern Colorado. And we got on this plane to go to this country where uh, the crew staff there were asking us to come and help them. This country is actually the least religious country in the entire world. And yet, we heard from the crew staff working there that God was doing something significant, and they were asking us to come help. So we got on the plane, we got over there, and one of the things that we did while we were there was we got to go onto the university campus, and we got to interact with college students. And I got to talk to three students one day, two girls and a guy, and I was asking them about their lives, their hobbies, the things that they did, but I also got to ask them about their spiritual lives. And I just, as we were talking, I got to ask them, I said, hey, I'm just curious, what's your understanding of Christianity? What, do you, what, do you, what have you learned or what have you come to know about Christianity and Jesus? And, and they got quiet and they looked down and the guy, Renee, he looked up and he said, honestly, I know nothing. I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you a single thing. And I turned to the two girls and I said, what about you? I mean, what would you guys say? And they just shrugged and they said, honestly, no idea. No idea. The country that we found ourselves in was the country you saw in this video. It's a country called Estonia. Estonia is uh, in Europe. Uh, it, is, it sits on the Baltic Sea in between Russia in this uh, country called Latvia, where the Estonians tell us people have six toes there. I haven't been there yet. I haven't found out, but I, I trust that the Estonians are right. Latvians have six toes. But Estonia, hopefully you can see through the video, Estonia is a beautiful country. I mean, just absolutely knock you dead beautiful. Uh, they have just un unbelievable lakes everywhere. They have, um, count it, 1,500 islands uh, they have beautiful forests, uh, just unbelievable beauty. And then even just their, their architecture um, is just unbelievably beautiful, uh, just gorgeous. Uh, they have castles in their country. We don't have castles here. They have castles there, churches. I mean, just unbelievable. I mean, like you, you go to their, like our university buildings are like rectangle things. Their university buildings, you would think you were walking into like the Roman Colosseum. I mean, they're just like, they have columns and just like works of art. Uh, just unbelievable. And yet, it is a beautiful country, and yet it's spiritually like a desert. In, in fact, for uh, Estonians, for them to to meet a Christian is kind of on par with what it would be like for us to meet like a leprechaun or a unicorn. You're, you're kind of like, I've heard about you. I just didn't know you were a real thing. Um, that's what it's like for an Estonian to meet a Christian. It's like, really? Like, you're a real Christian? Like, you follow Jesus? Like, that's real for you? Kind of like how you would feel if you met a real unicorn. You're like, I just thought it was all made up. But that's what it's like for them there. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, uh, you're a follower of Jesus. Perhaps for you, um, you, if you were honest, you're kind of marked by some apathy towards other people, uh, particularly maybe as it relates to people who don't know Jesus. You're just kind of like, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's cool. They have their thing. I have my thing. I don't, I don't really care about like countries like Estonia where people don't know Jesus. Um, that just must not be their thing. Um, and I, as a college student, I was involved with crew, 
Crew really bothered me in college. Uh, they annoyed me a lot because they kind of always had their certain things that they talked about. Um, of course, the things I appreciated about Crew at the time when I was a college student, I appreciated the ways that they talked about the Bible. Uh, I enjoyed community groups and going to Bible study. I enjoyed the friendships I had. I enjoyed the way that Crew challenged me to walk with God. Like, I enjoyed those things. Um, the things that they also talked about a lot was like mission and like reaching other people for Christ. And they just talked about it so much. It was like summer mission and go on mission and are you reaching out to people and are you doing this? And I was just like, just leave me alone a little bit. Just get on with like the help me get closer to God thing. I don't like the mission thing. And so it just honestly bothered me. Every time crew people kind of talked about it, I kind of just flipped off. I just turned off because I was like, I'm, I'm kind of tired of that. Like, I'm kind of, don't tell me that. That's kind of like your thing. That's not my thing. I'm here to grow closer to God, and that's it. Well, uh, after I started reading this book a little bit, I had kind of a crazy realization where I realized this isn't so much of a crew thing as it is a Bible thing, as it is a God thing, as it's a Jesus thing. <laughs> Is like reaching people, being on mission isn't like a crew value or just like a crew thing. It's, it's actually part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, if you were at fall retreat, and even if you weren't, I can bring you in on a part of it. But one of the things that Pastor Josh talked about was how as followers of Jesus, we're not only called to relationship with God, we're also called to living on mission with him. We're called to relationship and also called to mission. And you can't be called to just one of those things. You're called to both of those things. And so tonight, spoiler alert actually, we're not actually doing anything in the Gospel of Mark. Sorry, I forgot to tell Sheely and Aspen that we're not doing it. So you can kill the slide, Eric. We're not doing it. Uh, we're going to start a new series tonight. We're going to leave behind the Gospel of Mark and we're going to start a new series called The Marks of Discipleship. The marks of discipleship. And what we want to do in this series over the next coming weeks is we want to look at this, uh, look at these, this question of what characteristics should mark the life of a Christ follower? What characteristics should mark the lives of someone who follows Jesus? What does it mean to be called to relationship and to mission? And part of that is we want to look at what are the obstacles that hinder us from actually doing that. And so if you would call yourself or consider yourself a follower of Jesus, my hope is that this series would honestly transform your life. I'm hopeful that this series will transform your walk with God and how you understand what it means to follow Jesus. If you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, thanks for being here. And my hope that this, is that you would get something really significant from this series too. I don't know what you've come to understand about what it means to follow Jesus. I, I know for me, um, for much of my life, I had a lot of misunderstandings of what Christians, Christians were about and what it meant to be a Christian. And my hope is that if you're here and you're not a Christian, you would actually get a glimpse or a clearer picture of what it really means to follow Jesus. And so in the coming weeks at Crew, what we're going to do is each week, we're going to look at a different mark, a different mark that characterizes the life of every Christ follower. And the mark that we're going to be looking at tonight is the mark of being sent, sent. 
So we're going to look at a passage in Romans, the book of Romans, which is on page 551 in those blue Bibles, 551. We're going to look at this passage in Romans where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to explain the process for how someone becomes saved. How someone gets saved from the penalty and the power of sin, and they're enabled to experience joy in God. And so whether you're a Christian or not, this passage has incredible relevance for you. If you are a Christian, this passage should help you reflect on what happened and what enabled you to come to faith in Christ. And it's actually incredibly significant for how you understand how your friends, your your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, Estonians, how people come to know Jesus. How does that actually happen? So turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 13. Romans 10, starting in verse 13, page 551. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Father, would you, in these next few moments that we're together tonight, Father, would you, would you speak to us? I know that every person in this room has, is coming into this room carrying different things. But God, I, I believe that it is your desire for them to hear your voice tonight. And so Lord, would you help me? Uh, would you help me to teach your word faithfully? Would you help me communicate in a way that is not only clear, but faithful to your word? And would you give my friends ears to hear you, eyes to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 13, Paul writes, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a universal statement. Anyone and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, let me just have a brief conversation with you for a moment All that this means, to be a Christian isn't about what you need to do. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. So Christianity isn't a faith about you need to become a better version of you to become a Christian. In fact, it tells you right here, how do you become a Christian? You call on Jesus. You place your faith in him, and he does the rest in and through you. And so this universal statement, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, anyone and everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. This is what we call good news. Now, in verse 14, Paul asks four rhetorical questions. And they're all asking how. How does someone get saved? How does this actually take place for someone? What needs to happen for someone to call upon the Lord? And he works backwards from that. He starts in reverse order. How this will happen. He says it this way. 
How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? How will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? In, in a real way, Paul's laying out a problem. Good news! Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how? 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 You see, despite this universal invitation for anyone and everyone to come, people can't call on Jesus if they don't believe in him. And they won't believe in him if they haven't heard about him. And they won't hear about him unless people are preaching. And no one will preach about Jesus unless they're sent. Everything starts with being sent. Which is why this is the first mark of discipleship we want to look at in this series. You see, you might be even asking yourself, what does it actually mean for me to be sent as a Christ follower? Well, I hope to try to unpack at least some of what that means. I don't think we can give full service to all that that means, but at least we can try to answer at least some of what that means. And how I want to do that tonight is I want to look at four things sent disciples do. Four things sent disciples do. And here's the very first one. The first one is that sent disciples make disciples. Sent disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. The final question that Paul asks in Romans 10.15, he says, how are they to be, preach unless they are sent? You see, in order to preach, followers of Jesus have to be sent. And this is exactly what we see happen at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. After Jesus has been crucified, he was dead, he was raised from the dead, he spent some time with his disciples. And one of the very last things that the Gospels record Jesus saying to his disciples are these words recorded in Matthew 28. I'm just going to read them to you. Saying to his disciples, Jesus says, Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This passage is what's known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it's easy to maybe think that what Jesus said only applied to his disciples. I think we oftentimes, at least for me, you know, if I were to ask you, don't do this, this is, uh, that, that would be awkward, but, but, but think about this. I mean, it's like, you know, how many of you in this room would call yourself a Christian? Raise your hands. What? No, no, don't do it, I said. <laughs> Gosh, I just said it would be awkward. Don't do it. And you got, are you listening to me? Okay, don't do it. Okay, no, it's okay. Don't do it. It would be awkward. And they're like, whoop, awkward. Okay. Um, but then if I also ask the question, how many of you would consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? Probably a lot fewer hands go up. And we kind of tend to put these things in different categories. But all that it means to be a disciple of Christ, that word literally means a learner. 
a learner. So a Christian and a disciple, these are to be the same thing. You see, disciples of Jesus, this, this great commission isn't only given to Jesus' followers in that time. It's given to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Every Christian is to be a disciple who makes disciples. That is in many ways what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Disciples make disciples. Pastor Josh, as I mentioned, he talked about how we're not only called to relationship with God, we're called to mission with God. You know, I think a lot of times what we tend to do is we tend to think, well, that's people reaching other people for Christ, that's what people who are pastors do. That's their, they get paid to do that stuff. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't like help someone else follow Jesus. I can't tell any other people about Jesus. I could take people to the people that talk about Jesus. I can do that. But I'm not going to actually be someone who tells other people about Christ and teaches people how to follow Jesus. This is the calling, though, of everyone who calls themselves a Christ follower. Anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus is to help make followers of Jesus. If the, think about it this way. If the Great Commission were a sport, if you're a Christ follower, it's not your job just to sit, on the, sit in the stands and just cheer for the team on the field and be like, go get them, guys. Like, you're not like the spiritual water boy who's just like, I'm going to get the Gatorade and like give it to the guys, and they go out and play on the field. Like, nope, we're all called onto the field. We all have a role and a position to play in the Great Commission. And so whatever your vocational plans are, whatever your major is, whatever it is that you're planning to do or pretending you're going to do someday, because um, some of you are like, fake it till you make it. Um, whatever it is, though, if you are in Christ, all of you are called to be missionaries. All of us. You might be a missionary who happens to be an engineer. You might be a missionary who happens to be a kindergarten teacher. You might be a missionary who happens to be an accountant. But make no mistake, you are called to be a missionary. You may not be paid for being a missionary. It might not be your vocation, but you are a missionary before anything else. And that's just not when you graduate. That's true now. You're a missionary who happens to be a college student. That's what you're called to. Well, sent disciples of Jesus don't just make disciples of Jesus. They also preach the good news. That's the second thing that sent disciples do. They preach the good news. I love this verse. This is so good. Romans 10, 15. Paul writes, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet who preach the good news. The feet of those who preach the good news are beautiful. I'm just curious. Um, when was the last time you looked at someone and was like, your feet are pretty? <laughs> like, can we just be real? Probably the least impressive feature on most of our bodies, like those guys. Like, like, I just thought, like, why does the verse say, like, how beautiful is the face of those who preach the good news? Or how beautiful is the heart or anything else, the hair or the, whatever. But it's like, but the Bible's like, you know what? The people who bring the good news of Jesus, people, those things are bomb. They're beautiful. And I'll be honest, um, 
In Paul's day and age, uh, no, at probably no other time in the history of the world were feet uglier than at this time. Like, we were, they weren't rocking like the new Air Jordans, uh, nothing like that happening. Uh, people's feet around this time, dirty, rough, callous, maybe a little bloody, uh, definitely stanky, like real bad, uh, right? And so uh, I don't even know if nail clippers existed at this time, like so probably really gnarly, like, okay, sorry, it's a little graphic and gross, but just to give you like a sense though, like people had really gross feet. And yet the Bible is saying, man, the people who bring the good news of Jesus, your feet are beautiful. You see, the, the people of God, we aren't people who bring a message of condemnation. We don't bring bad news to people. And I, man, how sad, how sad that what I think a lot of people who are not Christians have come to feel about Christians is like, you guys you guys don't bring good news. You guys bring bad news. Aren't you guys the people that just say, you're going to hell, like you suck, like change your lives, like no, that's not how it's supposed to be. What, what's so sad is I think a lot of us, you're like, no, that's not what the message should be. But the problem, I think a lot of times, and maybe you've even encountered these people on campus, this hasn't been uncommon when I've, I've been on campus and these, these kind of um, hell and condemnation people come on campus and they preach and they get on their boxes and they're, they're all like, hey, you're a whore, you're going to hell. Like, da, 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 da. like you've met these people and I've had crew students come to me and I'm like, oh, I'm so mad that they're doing that. Like they're misrepresenting Jesus. And, oh, it's so I hate it. It's terrible. And yet, why aren't we out there sharing good news? We, we just kind of get mad about how other people are doing it wrong, but so few of us are actually doing anything to talk about the good news. In the Bible, the Bible says the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus, it should be, your feet are beautiful. You're bringing something amazing to other people. And you may not realize it, but God has actually designed you to be an evangelist. He's made you to be an evangelist. In fact, you already are one. And I know this because I follow a lot of you guys on Instagram, or I follow you on whatever you do. Like, we're all evangelists about the things that we love. We're like, oh, dude, did you see that newest movie, like the newest episode of like Squid Games? Like, you gotta see it. Like, what do you call that? That's called evangelizing. (laughs) That's good newsing people to like, you gotta see this. Have you been to this restaurant? You gotta go there. Like, did you see that? Like, you were always doing this. We always do this. For me, it's, it's Apple products. I'm like, have you heard the good news of Apple? Like, I know that like Android's cheap, but that's like for a reason, right? Like, why do you hate your lives? Like, why do you gotta be the green bubble people? Just be a blue bubble, be with the rest of us. It's a better way to live, right? And I'll tell you what, uh, my friend Eric, uh, he just bought his like first Apple product. Um, Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. All Eric does is good news people about MacBooks now. He's like, dude, I used to have a Dell. I know what that was like. Have you heard the good news of like MacBooks though? I get 11 hours from my M1 processor. Like he's just good newsing people all the time, not because anyone told him he had to, but because he's found a better way. And it works, and he wants other people to experience it. He's sad for other people that don't have a MacBook, right? (laughs) 
I joke, but I mean, do you see it though? We, we good news people all the time. We're always preaching and telling people about things. The drinks that we love or the movies that we love or the shows that we love or the food that we've eaten. You, you do this. I wonder though, what, what are you most passionate about telling other people about? What is it that you most often good news other people about? I mean, do you feel like the gospel really is the greatest news? You see, we're, we're called. <laughs> we're called to bring, you see, the feet of those people who bring the good news to other people, those people have beautiful feet, the Bible says. Well, sent disciples don't just preach the gospel. Sent disciples of Jesus believe in the power of the gospel too. They believe in the power of the gospel. Notice how Paul talks about it in Romans 10, 17. This is amazing. Where does faith come from? He says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes through the word of Christ. Where does faith come from? Hearing. Where does hearing come from? The word of Christ, the gospel. You see, throughout the New Testament, Paul Paul is always talking about how he's never trying to impress other people with his, with his rhetoric, which was a common thing to do in his age. That was actually a really common form of entertainment for people to pay and just hear people give impressive speeches. And people would hear about Paul and want to hear about Paul. He didn't charge any money, though. He didn't charge them anything. And in fact, he really tried to be unimpressive with his rhetoric, with his speech. He rather just wanted to talk about Jesus, him crucified, dead, and buried and raised from the dead. You see, Paul knew that the power of Christ wasn't found in flashing lights or impressive fog machines or a great band or some gifted speaker. You see, Paul knew that the power of the gospel was found in the gospel. He says it this way in Romans 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians. The word of the cross, the gospel, it's folly to those who are perishing. There are people who are going to hear it, he essentially says, they're going to think it's stupid. It's stupid. It's fairy tale gibberish. You're an idiot for believing that. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are, who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God. You see, the power of God is not in the messenger, it's in the message. It's in the message. See, years ago, we used to do these um, trips down to uh, over spring break with crew. We would go to Panama City Beach, Florida, because uh, at least in my day, I don't know where college students most historically go to like party their brains out over spring break, but at least in my day, it was in Panama City Beach, Florida. It's where this like TV station called MTV, I don't even know if MTV is still like a thing or not, but that's where they would go and like MTV would be, it would like be a whole thing. So so that's where all the college students around the country would go and just be drunk the entire week 
And crew is like, if that's where the college students are going, that's where we're going for spring break too. And the whole point of crew being down there was, if the college students are there, we're going to be there, and we're, gonna, we're just going to try to meet people there and build relationship, get into spiritual conversations, and see if we can talk to people about Jesus. Now, I went as a college student, and I remember thinking, this is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Like, I was excited about being in Florida, but I was like, we're going we're, we're to go talk to drunk people about Jesus. Like, sounds like a great plan, crew. Like, great, good idea. Like, I'm going to get a beer can thrown at my head. Some frat bro's going to, like, vomit on. Like, this is going to be ridiculous. Like, are you serious? But I saw God use it in incredible ways over the years. And in a few years back, so what we would do, though, is we would go out in the afternoon, and we would just, just go strike up conversations with, uh, with people. And I remember one year, I was paired up with this dude named Max. Max was this college student at Ohio University, and Max loved God, but was easily, perhaps, like the most socially anxious person I had ever met in my entire life. Like, just social anxiety was his thing. Maybe you can relate to that. But, I mean, Max really loved Jesus. But, like, this dude, like, you, you could, I, like I'm a kind of a, 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 I would think of myself a fairly confident in social situations. Max was ready to, like, pee his pants. And Max, Max and I are going out on the beach, and he's like, hey, I'm going to initiate the next conversation. And so I'm like, okay. And, like, you do it, man. And so he's going up, and, like, he goes, I mean, it was the most awkward thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like, he's not making eye contact with, like, the people. Like, and he just goes up to a big group of people, and he's not making eye contact with them. He's fumbling over his words. He's, like, he's like freaking out as he's doing it, and I'm, like, dying on the inside. I'm, like, oh, I want to help you. I want to help you, but I can't get in the way of this, so, okay, okay, okay. And so he's, like, he's like can we talk to you about spiritual things? And they're just, like, yeah, I guess, sure. And so, like, we're having a spiritual conversation, and Max, he's doing a terrible job. He's doing a terrible job. I'm freaking out like at how bad this is. I'm, I'm like, can we leave? Can we leave? Can we leave? Can we leave? Like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Please let us go. And, and next thing I know, he's like, he's, he's like, well, can I, share, can I share about Jesus with you? And they're just like, I mean, sure. And like, I'm like, okay. And like, he's like telling them about Jesus in the most awkward way I'd ever heard. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And then he takes, he like, he asks them, he says, do you want to place your faith in Christ? And they're like, Yeah. I'm like, that was the worst awkward, like, what? Like, are you kidding me? But the power's not in the messenger. It's in the message. It's in the message, not the messenger. You see, so many of us, we think, I can tell other people about Jesus. I don't have anything in my life together. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say. But it's not about you. The whole time, you're pointing to someone else, not you. You see, sent disciples of Jesus believe in the power of the gospel. The fourth thing, that sent disciples of Jesus do is they pray. They pray for laborers. Let me just read to you this passage and maybe, maybe even just close your eyes as I read this to you so you can imagine this. But this is from Matthew 9, 35 through 38. 
Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew tells us that Jesus, as he was going throughout all these cities during his life in these villages, and he was teaching, and he was healing people, and he was talking about the gospel, he saw the crowds, these people who didn't know the Lord. He saw the ways that sin was ruining their lives. He, he saw the way that sin not only had them gripped, but even how it, just the brokenness that they had diseases and afflictions. He, 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 Matthew tells us he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed, helpless, and he turns to his disciples and he tells them the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you pray? Do you pray like this? I wonder, does this ever meet your prayers? I'll, I'll be honest, for me, this is far from my mind when I'm praying. I don't, one, I don't often look at Colorado Springs. I don't look at people on campus and I think, man, these people are harassed and helpless. They're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. But then I actually, if I can actually get out of myself a little bit, if I think about what my life would be like apart from Christ, I know for me I don't want to go back to that. But so often, I'm only caught up in my own world. I'm only looking at this device and just, I don't see people around me. I don't think or feel for them very often. And yet, our God does. And he actually gives us good news. He says, you see, they're harassed and helpless but the harvest is plentiful. The God of the harvest, there's, there's things happening here. There's something happening here. You know what the problem is? The problem isn't that things aren't happening out there. The problem is that we don't have laborers out there working in the harvest. And he says, pray. You know, I wonder... I wonder if part of the reason why we're not laboring in the harvest is because we never pray for laborers to be part of the harvest. But also, you should be, you should be slow, perhaps, to pray for such a thing unless you're ready to be part of it. You see, I think so often what's going to actually happen is as you start to pray for God to send out laborers to reach people for Christ, guess who, who he's going to send? You. You. I think he'll send others too, but he will most definitely send you as well. And here's what I want to do. I, I want to give you, I want to give you a glimpse into how the harvest is plentiful. 
I want to give you a glimpse into how the harvest is plentiful in the least religious country on the face of the earth and how God used a group of college students from Colorado Springs to impact the life of a college student on the other side of the planet last summer. Her name is Sada. And you're going to hear a little bit of how God impacted her life through Colorado Springs students. See, dis- yeah. disciples, I don't know if you caught this, but disciples of Jesus pray, and they pray for laborers. And she mentioned in the video how she had friends in Estonia who were praying for her for four years. Four years that Sada would come to know Jesus. And what it took, and what God cho- chose to use was a group of ragtag students from Colorado Springs who traveled across the, to the other side of the planet to talk with her about Jesus. You see, you, some of you guys went on that trip. You didn't even know it at the time, but you were an answer to the Estonians' prayers. They were praying for laborers to be raised up. They were praying for Sada to come to faith in Jesus, and you were the answer to their prayer. You see, some of you, you're going to be the answer to someone else's prayer maybe this summer. You see, we, we believe because Jesus said so, that the harvest is plentiful. Not just in Colorado Springs, 
but also in the least religious country in the world. And the only problem is laborers being sent. You see, the mark of a disciple, one of the marks, of the many marks we're going to look at in the coming weeks, is that we are sent. We are sent to make disciples. We're sent to preach the good news. We're sent to believe that the power is in the message, not in the messenger. And we're sent to pray. To pray for laborers and to be laborers. And I'll close with this. This quote from Hudson Taylor, who was himself a missionary to the country of China, because I think it speaks to something really significant. He says, It will not do to say that you have no special call to China or Estonia. With these facts before you and with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay. You see, so often we think, well, God, if you give me a sign in the sky, I'll go to a place like Estonia. I'll do it, but if you don't give me it, I'm not going. (laughs) No, no, no. The word of God's really clear. You've been called to go. That actually should be the default. Not staying, the default is going. So rather, God, I'm gonna go. I'm going because you've called us to make disciples of all nations. I'm going to go unless you call me to stay. We need to reverse it because he has called us. We are called to the ends of the earth to carry the good news of Jesus. Why should other people hear the gospel twice in this country when others haven't even had the chance to hear it once in theirs? We are called to go. We are called to pray. So for you, perhaps, maybe while we sing in worship, perhaps you would ask God, how are you calling me? Maybe even taking the further step into saying, God, I'll go. I'll go unless you call me not to. You know, it's, it, it's just such an interesting thing There's so many things we could do with our lives. There's a lot of people who don't know the Lord who are lining up for the very same job that you're qualified to do. There's a lot of people who don't know the Lord that are going to become computer programmers and nurses and all these kinds of things. And that's great. We need those people. But only those who follow Jesus can carry the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Why aren't we eager to be sent in that way? What? It's not that doing anything other than that isn't worthy of your life. If that's what you believe God has called you to do, if he's called you to stay, stay. But we should go. That should be the default, going. Because disciples of Jesus are sent ones. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful. <laughs> we're thankful that you, you were sent for us, that you left heaven and you came to earth, that you denied yourself and you went to a cross and died for our sins, that you substituted yourself for us, God, that we would know you and have eternal life. And God, thank you. What a privilege that you've called us to join 
not only in relationship with you, God, but to join you in mission. What greater thing, like what could be more awesome than seeing people like Sada, her whole life change? And how crazy, a year ago right now, God, she didn't know you, and yet here she is on video saying, please come. Come tell more of my people about our God. God used you in my life. I believe he'll use you in more people's lives. Will you come? Will you join us? Would you be part of this again, Southern Colorado crew? God, I pray that we would put our yes on the table, that we would follow you and go wherever you call us. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, thank you so much for bringing us all here tonight. Thank you for giving us a community to worship with you and to learn as a disciple for you. And just help us to remember that it doesn't matter how perfect our lives look or how anxious we are or the words that fumble out of our mouths because what matters is the message that you loved us enough to send your one and only son to die on a cross so that we could spend eternity with you. And help us just to realize how much of a call that should put on our hearts and how eager we should be to share that good news. Um, and just as we leave here tonight, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you throughout this week and use us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, thank you guys. Man, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that hit me pretty hard. <laughs> um, yeah, that is such a good reminder of that we are called, like just as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to share our faith. 